For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. For though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. But we never came with words of flattery, for you know, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. Your witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for reminding us once more that you have spoken. You have spoken without error, without impurity. You have spoken through holy men and preserved them from error so that we might, in looking at your word from Genesis to Revelation, we might be able to speak the truth in love to others. But first, that begins with that truth being a part of who we are, and that comes through faith in Christ alone. So this morning, Lord, do your work in our hearts, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, last week we considered the first line of defense that Paul offered here um, the, the introduction last week reminded us of the context going back to, to 1 Corinthians, to the book of Galatians, where it becomes evident that uh, Paul is, is being accused of some things, uh, someone, some ones trying to undermine, uh, undermine the veracity of his, his, his ministry, of his, of his work and call into question what he's, what he's done in the past, what the effects of what he's done, to make people wonder if, well, is that really true? And you know, I didn't say this last week, but it, it's, it's a good point to make, and that is that people still struggle sometimes with well, what, happens if, what happens if they find out that a minister in their past was not faithful, 
uh, this, this happens. Ministers hear things like this. Elders hear things like this. Someone comes along and says, you know, I, I just learned this is very sad news. A uh, minister that was very, very integral to my, my life years ago, uh, he baptized me, he baptized my children, whatever the case may be. He, he did the, the wedding ceremony for my wife and I. And I've just learned that he is, he's apostatized. He's, he's denied the faith. He's called it all a sham. He's gone off into the world. And then sometimes people say something like this. Do you think, do you think my baptism is okay? Was my baptism valid since he, he's done this? And you know, while on the one hand, I, I smile, I see some of you smiling, but for someone to take the ministry and of, of, a, of a man that seriously is somewhat refreshing. Because the Apostle Paul, I'm going to bring this up in a bit, he, he, he makes a point of this, of, of how important the office is. But I always have to smile and say, look, you know, when he baptized you as an infant or when he baptized you as, a, as, a, as a, someone older in life, when he did your marriage, when he administered the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, he was speaking for God, not for himself. He was ministering under the authority of God and the church, not his own authority. So those, those acts that he performed are just as valid today as they were then, regardless of this man's faithfulness. Because though we are faithless, God is always faithful. And so sometimes accusations about a faithful man can bring some of the same questions. And that's what Paul's dealing with. He's not defected. He hasn't left the faith. But there are those who are saying he things that question his legitimacy as an apostle and even his message as an apostle. So that's what he's dealing with here. And that's how important he takes it is, you know what, I could just say, hey, I'm an apostle. I don't have to deal with this. I don't have to answer their accusations. You know, sometimes we can get rather haughty like that too. You know, I don't have to answer this. Well, Paul could have done that, but he didn't. And so he's answering this. And the first, first evidence he gives for the fact that, hey, my ministry is legitimate is that he never did anything except speak the true word of God. Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive that's Paul's first line of defense. We spoke the inerrant word of God. And as I said to, to those of you who were here last week, as long as we stay right there, whatever anyone may say, they may say, well, I don't believe that. I gave you the example of the woman. I read John 1, 12 and 13. 
And she looked at me and said, will you never make me believe that? Well, that's frightening. That someone would read God's word and say, I, I just don't believe that. But as long as that's where you and I stay, we don't have the apostolic authority. That is, we don't speak words inerrantly. We're not protected by God. As the apostles were, except at this point, as sent ones, when we speak what the Bible says, then we can say without any hesitation, that's true, that's inerrant, that's error-free, that's, that's no impurity in it. It's perfect. You can believe this. That was Paul's first line of defense, and it should be ours in defending ourselves if somebody says, well, I don't believe that. Well, you need to believe it because this is God's word. Listen, how important this is. Peter said this, uh, how important it is that is to, to, to be sure that we have a clear conscience before people, that we can legitimately say that we're above reproach. That's what Paul's doing here is defending himself as being above reproach. Peter, Peter said, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? In other words, do good. You don't have to be fearful of anybody's accusations. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you're blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. Do not be do not be in dread, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you, but with gentleness and respect. Paul's going to get to that here in just a moment, that gentleness and respect aspect. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who disparage your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. That's why Paul's defending himself. So that those who are accusing him will be the ones put to shame, not him. They'll be the ones called into question, not him. So that's the purpose of his defense is just what Peter tells us to do. And that is give a good account, live a good and godly life, speak the truth in love, do it with gentleness and respect, and then there won't be any any room for people to make accusations. And if, even if they do, it'll be evident to everyone that they're false. They're just untrue. And they're coming from some sort of motive that's not a pure motive. So last week we noticed that first point. Genuine gospel messengers speak from and for God. And now the second point. Genuine gospel messengers conduct themselves for God. You see it in the insert in the bulletin. Genuine gospel messengers conduct themselves for God. And so first, Paul disclaims any effort to wow them with sweeteners. Did you see that? He says, as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. A lady came to the, to the manse in Princeton one day to see John Witherspoon. 
who was the sixth president of the College of New Jersey. We know it now as Princeton University. John Witherspoon had come from Scotland in 1768 to be the, the, the next president of this little uh, struggling college. She came because she had heard that, that Mr. Witherspoon uh, loved to garden. And so she came to see his garden. And she arrived and she said, why, Mr. Witherspoon, there are no flowers in your garden. To which John Witherspoon said, no, madam, neither will you find them in my sermons. He was a vegetable gardener. And so he says, there won't be any flowers in my sermons. There's no, no pleasing things here. Our, he's, Paul says, we do not speak to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. That's the first thing he says. We're not as gospel ministers to be men pleasers. But I would say to you, even as, as, as Christians who go out into, the, into the, your family situation, into the public sector, in your workplace, uh, it's not your first priority as a Christian to please men. We're to do everything as unto the Lord, not as men pleasers, Paul says elsewhere. Now, it doesn't mean you can't have friends. That would just mean you'd have good friends. And so Paul says it's important here that you remember, if I, if I, if I were trying to be underhanded about things, if I were trying to, trying to do something untoward here, I would have come with sweeteners. I would have come with flowers. I would have come impressing. I would have come flattering people, but I didn't. And so he moves on. He says, not only did I not come to please, in verse 5, then he says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor in a pretext of, for greed. We weren't here to try to accumulate things. We weren't here to try to, to pile up wealth. That was not our purpose. Now, he's going to come back in a moment and bring this point up again. Because apparently that was one of the big accusations against him was that he, he came to, to wow them, to, to sweeten up things and get, their, get their, their attention, get them on his side. Oh, and by the way, the whole point was so he could, so he could take possessions, have a lot of good stuff. And so Paul's going to have to come back to this again in a moment, but we'll get to that in a moment as well. But he didn't. Ministers today must not make wealth the basis for their calling. Now we know from the very same Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy, in the latter chapter, he says that there's nothing wrong with having wealth. It's how you use it. So apparently the accusation here against Paul was that he was accumulating things and using it for selfish reasons for himself, not for other people. Sometimes people struggle when God blesses them and they have a good deal. 
I remember a few years ago, a dear brother asking a group of us, we were together for some fellowship and conversation. He said, I'd like for us not to, not to be on topic tonight. I, I, I've got something that's troubling me. What is it? Well, you all know we have this lovely place, he said, this, this three-level home with a lake and beautiful place. And he said, uh, sometimes I wonder if, if people might get the wrong idea that, that you know, we, just, we just like to accumulate stuff. And we all laughed because we knew this man. He's one of the most giving, sacrificial people, he and his wife. Their church has a, has a very active mission work all over the world. And there's a missionary almost every month of the year floating through to visit with them and spend time preaching the pulpit. And that's where they live when they're in the States is they stay right there with that family and they provide everything they need. That's their life is giving. And so we laughed that night and we talked him off the ledge. We reminded him that, look, the Lord's given you these things. And if you weren't using them, if you were just keeping them for yourself, if you were hoarding them for yourself, that would be sin. You'd be like the rich young man. Jesus said, sell everything. Give it away. But that's not who you are. You're using it for the gospel ministry. You're using it well, sacrificially. Paul was not gathering, but that was the accusation that they made. He goes on to say, not words of flattery, nor pretext of greed. And by the way, God, he says, is my witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. In other words, he says, we could have, we could have played the apostle card. And had we played the apostle card, Paul says, you should have shown us respect. That would have been the natural response on your part, would have been respect due to us because of our apostolic office. Now, let me, uh, let me say something. He didn't seek honor from people first. I want to address that. He was doing everything as unto the Lord. But then that apostolic note, and I, I'd hate for us to pass over this and, and not think about this, but what he's saying here is that his station in life, his role as an apostle did deserve respect. They should have honored him, although he didn't ask for it. That's not why he came into their midst, was to be honored and esteemed. But the respect should have been there. And I want to make an application here. Parents, 
I hope you're teaching your children to respect elders. I don't just mean elders in the church. I mean all those who are older than them and to respect authority. You understand we live in a we live in an age right now where there is little respect for authority. Now it doesn't matter that some people don't deserve respect. That's a that's a given. There are people who don't deserve respect. But you know, at a level, we're to respect men who are in authority, women who are in authority. We have teachers here. If you have a classroom where there's no respect, where the, your students don't respect you because of who you are as the teacher, you're not going to accomplish anything in the classroom. You know that. I opened the door the other day. I was going into the gym. Coming out of the gym was a military man. And he had been there. He'd worked out. And he was coming out with his, his, his military clothing on. And I opened the door and I said, thank you for serving our country. Now, I want to tell you, I don't have a clue of what kind of man he is. He may be obnoxious. But his office, his place as a servant of our nation, deserves respect. I say that to our police in the city of Oak Ridge, or if I'm in Knox County, a sheriff comes in. Same thing, before I leave their presence, thank you for serving our community. I don't know what they may do behind closed doors, but their office deserves respect. That's what Paul's saying here. My office deserves respect. I didn't ask you for it. But it deserves, so parents, please teach your children to respect authority, to respect their adults. You know, they're not peers. Children, when we say that you're not our peers as adults, that does, that's not you're inferior, but it just means you're younger. And there is a, there is a, a role, a relationship that we have that you're to respect, and we should strive to earn it. By the way, adults. And so Paul says, that is who I am. That's what I've done. I didn't come with flowery speech. I didn't come to accumulate things. But did you notice? He says, verse 7, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her children. That's remarkable, isn't it? Now, next week, we're going to consider the next paragraph in this section where he says, I was like a father to you. He's playing both sides here. I was like a mother to you, a nursing mother, doing everything. What do nursing mothers do for their children? Everything. Right? You provide their sustenance for life. You clean their dirty diapers. You provide their clothing. You provide their everything. You get them out of bed, into bed. Paul says, I I did everything for you. I was like a mother to you. Now I'm going to, this is almost a silly illustration. But to speak about, he's talking about how sacrificially he was in their presence. 
When you talk about a mother, you're talking about sacrifice. Mothers give up everything. God made me a man because he knew I would not be a good mother. I remember seeing articles of my grandmother when I was a child and thinking, boy, she needs to get some new ones. And I'm not going to go into detail, but it was every kind of article of clothing hanging out on the clothesline. My grandmother didn't have a dryer, so everything went on the clothesline. We didn't have a dryer until I was a, a, in college. So the clothesline sometimes in the summertime was out in the yard. In the wintertime, it was all over the house. It was great fun for kids, though, you know. Clothes are draped between doors, and you get to pass through. Anyway, I'd see her clothing, and there'd be holes and stuff. I'd think, you know, but you know what? Granny didn't think about that because she was always giving to the children and the grandchildren. She was always doing for us. And she didn't care that there were holes. She would just sew those holes up and rather than buy new stuff. And then years later, I realized that's what my mama did too for us. And that's what Paul's doing. He's saying to you Thessalonians, I treated you like a mother. I sacrificed. I could have played the apostle's role and you would have had to pay me big bucks. But I didn't. I just treated you like you were my children and I was your mother and I just lived without. Now again, we get in a moment to, not a moment this morning, but a moment later that he says, hey, you know what? I, I, I worked night and day to keep from demanding of you. This is part of his defense. You know how I lived among you. Go on. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. See, charlatans don't go on a stage or into a building for the good of the people. They go onto a stage or into a building for what they can get out of things. Paul says, if I'd have been a charlatan, if I'd have been a fake apostle, I'd have taken you for everything you have. But I didn't. And the reason I didn't is because I love you. You became very dear to us. I'm going I'm to, I may not should ought to say this. May not should ought to say. That's a good English sentence. But I've been here almost 16 years. And if you were not dear to me, I wouldn't be here. 
Now, somebody may take that wrong, but I don't mean, I don't want you to take it wrongly. I want you to understand what Paul was saying. Every minister worth his salt could stay, could say, and should say, you're dear to me. You're dear to us. We love you. That's why we do this. It'd be a lot easier to work at Lowe's. Don't you love the smell of Lowe's, men, when you go in there, particularly on the lumber end? I know you ladies like to go in the garden end. Men like to go in the lumber end. But because you're dear to us, to us ministers, we do what we do. We love you. Like a mother loves children sacrificially. So let's, let, let's simply leave today. And that's what Paul, Paul's saying here is that this has been my conduct. This has my, been my conduct before you. What he's going to go on and say in the next paragraph is you need, to you, need to, you need to follow my example. Follow my conduct. Follow my doctrine, inerrant word, speak the word, the truth, and then conduct yourselves rightly and then live that way is the next paragraph. But this is the exhortation for us today is what's our conduct? That's the question. What is our conduct like? Is it such that we could defend ourselves against, against the accusations of the world? Is it such that we can uh, defend ourselves against the accusation of, of the church, of fellow church members? That was what Paul's doing here, defending himself. And he's basing it not just on what he preached last week's point, but on the way he lived, the way he conducted himself. He was doing everything as unto the Lord, not as unto men. And yet, it was unto men because it was like a loving mother to her children. So we have to ask ourselves, is that how I conduct myself in the church, out in the world? So that, back to Peter's words, so that if anybody makes accusations, those who disparage your good behavior will be put to shame. Our conduct should turn the argument on anyone who makes accusations against us. One last thing. Have you noticed already, I've not made the point, but surely you've noticed in my reading, and we'll bring it back up again next week, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Paul has, has, has referred to the gospel of God as being his main thing twice already. That's what it's all about, isn't it? The good news. The gospel. The evangel. That's what we have for people, is good news that God saves sinners and makes them better than others. And our lives should, should show that. Jesus Christ, Savior of sinners, that's what our lives are all about. Father, thank you for this morning, for this message.
pray that you've guarded it from, from human intrusion and kept it plain and simple. Nothing but God's word, your word to your people this morning. That we might be changed. That we might all leave this place more like our Savior is our desire. Give us faith, Lord, that we might do that. In Jesus' name, amen.